0: All right, well, let me pray, and we'll get started. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for just your goodness, Lord, that, that you are indeed God. You sit on your throne, and, Lord, everything that we see going on around us, Lord, it's, I mean, Jesus, you even said, you're like, don't let your heart be troubled. I have overcome the world. And so, Lord, as we come to you today, as we learn about the kingdom of heaven, as we learn about operating in, in the spiritual realm, Lord, that you would just pour out your peace in our hearts, that we know that what we're doing is we're just executing things that you've already spoken, that you've already made a way for. And so, Lord, we can do that from a place of peace, from a place of authority. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would open our eyes and ears and just give us just give us hearts to understand these things. And um, yeah, Holy Spirit, I just invite you and invite you to speak through me and and to speak to people's hearts, Lord, what you would have them hear and understand. So be it. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, spiritual warfare, right? We've been on this for several weeks. I always go back, what is your reason? Right? I've, I've mentioned it multiple times. You know, a farmer doesn't plow a field just because he's bored. Right? He doesn't even plow a field because he wants to plant seed. He plows a field because he's wanting a harvest, right? And so your personal reasons in learning spiritual warfare are really important, right? What is the harvest that you're looking for? Because that's what, I mean, that's what motivates a farmer, right? That's what keeps him working all summer long, not having any fruit, right? I mean, think about it. He works for months without seeing anything. And even when the plant starts to come up, it doesn't mean he has fruit, right? It doesn't mean he has a harvest. Okay, he, he puts in the work over the long haul to get the harvest. And so just keeping in mind, what is your reason? Is it personal things you want to be free of? You know, of course, we've gone through a lot of those in the, the first session. Is it, you know, oh, I have these nightmares. I need to deal with them. Like, they're, they're traumatizing or tormenting. There's generational stuff, you know, bondage in the family, financial things. We talked about how that's a part of spiritual warfare, right, in the Old Testament, God says, hey, if you bring in the tithe, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Well, you know, there's not little gremlins going around eating the money out of your pocket, <laughs> right? So obviously, that's spiritual warfare. There's something going on in the spiritual realm that is affecting your ability to create wealth and keep wealth, right? If anybody's ever had that feeling of like, man, I just have holes in my pockets. Like, I get money, and it's just gone, <laughs> right? Like, that's, there's a spiritual root to that, okay? And so... What are your reasons? Um, the next, next thing we really dove into the first week was judgments. And of course, that, that recording's online. You can look it up, and, and we go through judgments. Um, and just kind of a vision God gave me, and how it applies, and how that relates. So we'll just kind of go through that. The next thing we covered was forgiveness. And we talked a lot about unforgiveness, and how unforgiveness is literally a declaration that the evil in them, right? Whoever they are that hurt you, has stolen my ability to love, meaning the evil in them has power over me. And of course, I mentioned that so many of us have friends or family who, you know, in life are like, oh, I'll never be like my mom or I'll never be like my dad. And they become just like them, right? Or worse. Well, it's because that unforgiveness is giving the bondage in their parents' life, access to their own, okay? And so we talked a lot about that Um, and how forgiveness is actually an act of authority. It's saying that love is a choice I make, right? I can choose to love regardless of what someone does, which means I have authority. You know, it's what Jesus did on the cross. When he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, he's saying, hey, look, I can love you anyway, Because my love comes out of my heart. It is not based on what you do. Right? Because if my love is based on what you do, then I'm (laughs) saying either you have power over me or that love doesn't exist. Right? Because I'm saying it's a transaction and not a free gift. Right? And so we want to forgive so that we can receive God's forgiveness. We can receive his love freely given. And we can love others, because that's an act of authority. That means we have dominion in our own souls. Um, and then, of course, we talked a lot about to be forgiven. The Bible's quite clear. Like, to be forgiven, we have to forgive. Like, this is a non-negotiable with God, right? And yes, you can do it. Okay, the Bible says so, so I need to do it, right? But the reason I put that at the end of my talk on forgiveness is because I like to help people understand that this is actually, again, it's for your benefit. Like, God's not telling you to forgive because, you know, he's trying to get other people off the hook. Does that make sense? He's telling you to forgive so that you can walk in authority and dominion, right? And so I usually save that part for last in that talk just because, yes, the Bible says you you need to do it. Like, it's non-negotiable. But there's a good reason for that. It's because God wants us to be able to love based on our choice, not, you know, whether someone's earned it or not. Because frankly, that's how he loves us. And so, yeah, we went through different scriptures on that, Matthew 6, 14, 18 through 35, and Mark eleven twenty-six. 26. And I'm just kind of flying through this review, um, both because I am recording this and hopefully get this cleaned up and put online <laughs> but also it's helpful you know i mean we we do these classes a week apart and sometimes get busy with your week and you're like oh yeah i don't know if I'm about about you but a lot of times i go to church on sunday and then later that afternoon or you know the next day people are like well what did the preacher talk about <laughs> and you're like uh, i have no idea <laughs> right and so I think review is important. It, it just refreshes it. It kind of locks it into our mind. Um, of course, the next topic, and, and uh, this is the second week I actually dove into this, on repentance. And I talked about how often that's a dirty word in the church nowadays, right? And why? Like, it's usually because it's been preached from a place of, like, condemnation and judgment, Right? which is why I do the talk on judgments first. Because when you hear this, and and I really like to redeem this word. I've had people over the years tell me, well, Devin, can't you just use a different phrase, just be like, oh, you're you're changing your mind or you're turning around? Because that's what repentance means. And my argument has always been, yes, but if people are going to read the Bible, this word is in the Bible. And if there's offense or there's misunderstanding of this word, it's going to be hard to understand the gospel. And so I'd rather take the time to explain what this means and, and redeem this word, if you will, in people's hearts and people's minds than to just pass over it and pretend like you know, it's a horrible word. Right? And so we talked a lot about repentance. I talked about Santa Claus. <laughs> I was just on the phone yesterday with a a lady out in California whose family friend has a daughter who literally has been manifesting demonic spirits. I mean, pretty intensely, especially like when there's worship playing and things like that. This stuff comes up. And she's like, man, I mean, they go to a a Christian church. They're supposed to be a spirit-filled church, but no one knows how to deal with this. No one's, I mean, even the few that acknowledge, okay, yeah, that's, that's a demonic spirit, they don't do anything about it. She's like, what do I need to do? And, and I, I talked a lot about how, because this, this young girl is, is probably, what, 12 years old? I think she said. Um, and I talked a lot about, okay, yes, you know, you need to deal with the unclean spirit. However, you also need to help the, the little girl understand her belief systems right what is she believed that has given this permission to be in her life cuz a lot of times we forget that as children we make decisions right we we have choices and especially by 12 years old you're you're very much determining things in your own heart right and, and helping her understand okay just because she's believed something or maybe have even been taught something as a kid now that she knows that's not true she needs to know the process to get that lie out of her heart, right? And so I explained the Santa Claus thing because, you know, a lot of times we're told Santa Claus is real as children, right? But at some point, we had to make a decision that we're no longer going to believe that. Well, how often as children do we make the decision we believe, hey, nobody loves me. I'm worthless, right? I'm just the problem child. I'm rebellious. I'm just a bad kid. Why? Because we're told that. And we believe that about ourselves. But often with those things, I mean, we're 30, 40 years old and still believe it. <laughs> and so just be helping people understand and, and that, that language of using that story about Santa Claus really helps kids understand, I mean any age group really, but that, hey, just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. And two, it doesn't mean you're stuck with it. <laughs> Right? You can actually throw it out. And that's, of course, repentance. And we talked a lot about how that's an act of authority. Right? It's saying that there's nothing in my heart except what I've chosen to believe. Now, a lot of times our beliefs come from a very traumatic experience. Right? People go through crap, man. I've I've prayed for a lot of people, and trust me, I've heard probably the most horrible stories you can imagine. And not that anybody's story is is usually all that pretty, but I've, <laughs> I've heard it and I understand that. But at the same time, you know, in recognizing that you can be a victim outwardly, but if something's in your heart, it's there because you chose it, which is really good news because that means you can make a different choice. Right? Um, praying for a lady this last week and... And she'd been, you know, raped as a child um, or as a teenager. And she was like, why is this still, like, like, I've forgiven, I've walked through this, why? And as we were praying, God actually brought up something that she had agreed with in the middle of that. To be like, well, I might as well enjoy it anyway. And because of that, she actually gave this thing permission in her life and it had followed her. And so she actually needed to repent, and that's hard, that's really hard. Because in the middle of genuinely being a victim, there was just something she had agreed with. And she needed to change what she believed about it. And almost immediately this thing just came out of her life and she had peace and she had freedom. And she's like, Oh. Why? Because now her authority is restored. Right? So repentance has a lot to do with about restoring a person's authority and recognizing where they did have choices. Does that make sense? Because when we go through trauma, when we go through terrible things, it's easy to be like, well, I was a victim in all of that. And God is usually like, wait a minute, but I I told you not to be there in the first place, and you ignored what I said. That was a choice. Right? Right? You know part of brain <laughs> of somebody who's dealt with like stealing things and and stuff like that and God had told them don't go there and they had totally ignored it and went anyway and so then they were part of this theft like well I, you know that was someone else's fault they did that well yeah, but you disobeyed God and went it when you knew it was wrong you know it, it's but that restores a person's authority to recognize hey i I wasn't I wasn't a victim at a heart level, okay? And there's a lot more we could get into. There's obviously so much on this. Um, We talked about how it breaks up the hard ground, right? Scripturally speaking, repentance tills the hard ground, which allows us to hear and receive revelation from God. And so much of, of everything I do in ministry... Is centered around this thing of helping people hear from God for themselves. You know, a long time ago, I was, you know, just praying and just, I don't know, communing with God. And I was asking him about, you know, ministry and pastors and things like this. And I just had this really clear picture of how so often when when pastors set themselves up as, like, oh, I'm the one that has revelation, you have to come to me. And whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally, I just had this really clear picture of how exhausting that is, (laughs) right? Because they've kind of set themselves up as, hey, if you have any spiritual questions, you have to come to me. And is there any reason that that pastors are often the most exhausted, burnt out people? (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. But you've set yourself in that position, right? And this is a place where you're like, you need to repent, right? Like, you need to change. And how about you make your ministry about helping your people hear from God for themselves? You know, to me, that that seems so much easier because if I can teach you how to to have a soft heart, right, how to then hear and walk in the revelation God gives, then you don't have to come to me for every problem that you have. And that's really good, (laughs) right? And that benefits you, it benefits me, Right, it benefits the church. I mean, how amazing would it be if, in your life, when God's like, "Okay, here, I want you to go here and do this," right? I want you to buy this property. Or I want you to start this business. Or I want you to, you know, sew into here. Like, your life starts to prosper. Yeah. Well, that builds everyone up. That's right. Right. And so, helping people hear from God for themselves, in my mind, is the point of ministry. Right, whether it's preaching the gospel, right? Because people who have never heard from God, I'm, I'm telling them, hey, God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying God wants to communicate with you. Because, right? I mean, we all kind of understand intrinsically that without communication, there is no relationship. Right? If I'm married to someone and we don't talk for four years, the fact is, we don't have a relationship. Right? Communication. And, and for so long in the church, we've just been like, well, God just doesn't speak anymore. Instead of being like, wait a minute. What if it's what we've believed? And our hearts are hardened, and that's why we're not hearing. And so that's why I talk a lot about repentance, is it breaks up the hard ground. It literally allows our hearts to hear from God again. All right? And that's, I, you know, of course, I give a lot of scriptures, Old and New Testament, for that. Um, I talk a lot about agreeing with your accuser, which is something, it's, it's a, a passage in Scripture. It's in Matthew 5.25, and, and there's a couple other places in the Gospels. But um, it's one of those things I've never heard a message on, never read anything on, never listened, nothing. And just in this journey of walking with God, he's taught me, like, hey, this is a better way of dealing with things. Like instead of running away from accusations, whether it's spiritually, right? We talked a lot about dreams and how, I mean, if you have a a bad dream, quote-unquote, instead of running away from it and being like, oh, that's demonic or I'd never do that. You know, maybe you see yourself doing something bad in a dream. Recognizing that the Bible actually says the word of the, the Lord is living and active. It discerns the thoughts and attitudes, the intentions of the heart. So when you're seeing things, even if they're negative, instead of running away and be like, that's not me, that's not me, be like, okay, Lord, whether this is from you or not, there's an accusation against me that's saying that there's, there's something bad in my heart. So I'm going to step in. I'm going to go to God and say, okay, Lord, what do you say? Is this in my heart? And most people are pretty amazed that God often is like, yes. You've agreed with this. You've believed this. Okay, but again, God doesn't say that or do that to condemn you. He does that so that you can change what you believe, right? You can repent. Why? So that that thing that you saw in your dream or that word, that accusation, doesn't have a place anymore. Because he wants you to be free. (laughs) Right? But to be free, we have to acknowledge the things that are in our hearts. And usually we're so busy defending ourselves that we don't take the time to be like, okay, Lord, is this in my life, right? And that's always where the enemy can get us, because when he makes an accusation, I mean, the word Satan isn't a proper name; it just means accuser, right? And Satan is kind of like a, well, any any demonic spirit, but certainly your principalities and stuff, they're like a really, really good prosecuting attorney. Right, And they're, they're pretty good about making accusations that are legitimate based in the things that are in our hearts. Okay, And so instead of running away from it, step into it. And I often give that, and, and I think, was it last week? Week before maybe. I even talked about how that's ultimately what we want. Like when we bring something to another person, you know, a friend, a family member. You know, let's say you have a, a brother who's, you know, a drug addict, and you go to him and you're like, hey man, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting people, like this needs to stop, you're addicted, what do we want him to do? Do we want him to be like, no, 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 I'm not, it's just, I just, I just need this to, you know, take the edge off, oh, you're just, you're just making things, you're like, I don't, I don't hurt anybody, no, what do we want him to do? We want him to be like, yeah, you're right. I need help. Can you please help me? Right? We want him to agree with that. We're not accusing him to, to try and crush him. But we are saying, hey, look, this is in your life. Well, if that's what we desire from other people, isn't it reasonable to be like, hey, God probably does that with us. He probably calls us out on things so that why? We'll agree and change. Right? Right? And even if somebody comes to us and they bring an accusation, and it is with bad intention, right? It is out of the wrong spirit. And they're coming and they're accusing in order to, like, crush. Well, the reality is, if I'm willing to be like, hey, you know what? You might be right. Let me pray into that and ask the Lord if that's in my heart. <laughs> Guess what it does with that person? They're like, uh, 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 <laughs> Because nobody r- really expects someone to agree with them, right, when they're accusing. <laughs> and the reality is if you take it to God and he's like, yeah, it is there, guess what? That enemy, even though they would meant it for evil, God works it for good. And because why? You now found something in your heart that you didn't know was there that you can now get set free of. Okay. And that's why I tell people this thing about agreeing with your accuser is is literally one of the core messages when I say that if you understand this, you never have to be afraid of a spiritual attack. You never have to be afraid of an attack from a person, right, where they're accusing you of things because you start to see these things and be like, ooh, that's another area I'm going to get freedom in. Right? It works in your favor. This is why it says God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? Right, but we got to step into it instead of run from it. Um, And we talked about, of course, how repentance prepares the way of the Lord, right? John the Baptist's ministry was called preparing the way of the Lord. And I kind of emphasized, you know, who is the Lord? You know, who is Jesus? Well, he's, John 1, 1 says he's the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Right? In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the Word comes to us all the time, every day. Right? That means Jesus comes to us all the time, every day. But what prepares the way of the Lord? What prepares the way of the Word? Repentance. Repentance, right? It breaks up the hard ground. And, you know, the earlier point, Matthew 13, 1-8, the parable of the sower right? It's the ground that's the issue, right? And of course, we did talk about the spiritual warfare involved, right? The birds come, the demons come to try and steal the revelation. The the stage two where the sun comes up and Jesus explains persecution happens because of the word, right? Meaning the enemy is actually after the word more than he's after your heart. (laughs) Okay, now he's a thief. He'll, He'll steal, kill, destroy anything that has life, right? But the primary thing he's after is the word. Right? The revelation that God is giving you. But what determines whether we can receive it or not isn't us being masters of spiritual warfare. What determines whether we can receive that revelation or not is whether our hearts our hearts are soft. Okay? That's why I spend so much time on this stuff because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to master spiritual warfare. And I'm like, okay, but that's not going to do you any good if your heart's hard. (laughs) And frankly, there's a lot of Christians who are very judgmental, right? And very unforgiving and very unrepentant. (laughs) And then they wonder why they're not being successful in spiritual warfare. It's like, well, you might know all the things about the spiritual realm and all the prayers to pray to cast out demons and all this other stuff, but the reality is your heart's hard. And you're not hearing from God for yourself, okay? And frankly, teaching that kind of person spiritual warfare is, in many ways, what I've seen actually is a detriment to them. Because then they start getting in in fights that they have no ability to get out of. Because they start meddling in quarrels that aren't their own. And because their own heart has so many agreements, when the enemy attacks them, man, he just steamrolls them, right? And so that's why we we talk a lot about this stuff, and I review it constantly. (laughs) Um, All right, then the next week, Revelation. If it comes up here. There we go. And we talked about Jesus is the word, right? We went into this, because this is the main point, is being able to hear from God for yourselves. We'll just kind of go down the list here. We talked about Jesus as the Word. We talked about Jesus as the bread, right? He says, I am the bread that comes from heaven, which in the context, he's literally saying, I'm the manna that comes from heaven, right? Because he's comparing it to the manna that fell in the Old Testament. that came every day before daybreak. Um, and we just talked about how God speaks, right? In the prayer that, that we know is the Lord's Prayer, which is actually what Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, He actually tells us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Well, who is the daily bread? Jesus. Okay? The word, the revelation. Um, We talked about Jesus as the seed. Right? The seed sown in in the parable of the sower. Again, just being able to hear from God. Hear from God. All right, and I think that is about where we ended last week, okay, as we got through this thing on Revelation. All right, so this week, this is, this is, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Um, why don't you turn over in your Bibles, if you have it, or if you have it on your phone, to Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. It says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. That's a powerful verse. Right? And it actually matches with many of the stories in the Bible. Right? The story of Abraham. Right? Where, where God's going through and he has angels with him. And he says, will I not reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do? Right? Because he he was going to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And he tells Abraham what he's about to do. And it's this beautiful passage because Abraham literally negotiates with God for the lives of people. Now, I think God obviously wanted that. He wanted to invite Abraham in. Right? Jesus, he, he says, I'm the image right, of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, Jesus isn't, and, and God isn't this person who is excluding people and be like, I'm the only one with power. You all just have to submit. Throughout Scripture, he actually you see him invite people in to participate in what he's doing, to influence what he's doing. Now, is he God? Does he have foreknowledge? Yeah, of course not, but that, or of course, yes. (laughs) He has foreknowledge. However, he still doesn't make our choices for us. He might know what we're going to choose, ultimately, but he invites us in. He invites us to participate. Why? Because he's humble. You know, most of us don't think of God as humble, but Jesus demonstrated that. He's like, I am the image of the Father. He was humble. He wanted people around him. He invited people to speak in. That's really powerful. Um, Let's go to John chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 16, 16, verse 13. John 16, verse 13. Actually, yeah, verse 13. Well, we'll back up to verse 12. (laughs) This is Jesus. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, Verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's pretty cool. He's literally saying, I'm going to show you what's in the future. Right? You actually see this throughout the Bible where God's people are the ones to know what's coming. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Right? Of course, Peter, in the book of Acts, he quotes Joel, which is an Old Testament prophet, when he says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy... Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Okay, it's just a poetic way of saying, I'm giving revelation. Right? In Proverbs, it says that the way of the righteous is like the shining light that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, that they do not know what makes them stumble. Right? As believers, we actually have an inheritance. We have a guaranteed promise of revelation about our lives. And even he goes so far, and you see this throughout Scripture, God revealing the things that are coming for other people as well. All right, That's amazing. Because how many of us are like, oh, God, I just want to know. What are you doing? What do you have for me? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm speaking. I'm telling you these things. But again, our hearts have to be in a posture to be able to hear that. But he is revealing. He is showing us things to come. That's amazing. All right. So we're going to kind of, we'll get into more stuff after this, but taking everything that we've covered over the last several weeks and kind of bringing it together. And and these, I've just put a, a bunch of verses here because... We, um, when we get into hearing from God, right? When our hearts are soft to receiving revelation from the spiritual realm, okay? There are things you can hear and receive that are not from God, right? And I'm not sure if I've talked in this class much about this. I think I have at least a little bit, but you know, how many how many of us have ever gone to a like a very charismatic church. Okay, they're praying in tongues, prophetic stuff, right? And, and when we go, a lot of times we're like, wow, there's a lot of life here, you know? And then maybe you take a break or something, you go about a year later and you're like, whoa, what, something changed. Like they're, they're kind of off in left field now. And, and what used to feel life-giving just somehow feels controlling and manipulative and like bondage, right? I think most of us have experienced that, okay? And and I'll explain why, right? Because when our hearts are soft and we are receiving from the spiritual realm, which is necessary, right? We need to, we have to be able to hear from God if we're going to follow him. But there are other spiritual beings, right? The whole topic is about spiritual warfare. There are other spirits that speak. And a lot of times we get into this place of pride where we, because we have gotten a word from God before, we somehow jump to the conclusion that everything we get from the spiritual realm must be from God. <laughs> and so we start listening to words that are not from God. right? And of course the prime example of this is Peter. <laughs> He's exhibit A. <laughs> For a lot of things. Gotta love Peter. And I, I I pick on Peter, but it's usually because I've done the same thing. <laughs> right? The example where, where Peter is there with Jesus, and Jesus is asking all of his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And some of his disciples are like, Oh, well, you know, some people are saying you're Elijah returned, or you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, or you know, like they're like, Yeah, you might be this, you might be this. And Peter is like, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, ooh, Peter, you got this, not from men, but from my Father in heaven. Meaning, he's saying, Peter, you got a revelation. And so Jesus is like, oh, you got this revelation, let me give you another one. And he goes on to explain, hey, by the way, I'm going to die. (laughs) Right? Paraphrased. To which Peter responds, no, you will not (laughs) So think about Peter in this moment. Peter gets this incredible revelation. Jesus, you are God. And a minute later, by the way, you're wrong. (laughs) Well, of course, we all know Jesus' response. It says he looked at his disciples, looked at Peter, said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. Okay, so Peter in that moment is like, mm, look at me, I got a prophetic word, right? He's, he's, he's kind of strutting his stuff, right? I heard from God, y'all. And so in his, <laughs> probably in his own arrogance, he then thinks this next thing he hears is also from God, right? Oh, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. But you'll notice Jesus rebukes the spirit and is like, oh, you don't have the things of God in mind but the things of man. Literally within what had to have been a minute to two minute conversation. <laughs> Peter goes from hearing from God to hearing from an unclean spirit. All right, so let's go over. We'll use this first verse here. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Right at the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Go to Revelation and then turn forward about four pages. <laughs> Alright, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Okay, and, of course, it goes on, and it's a wonderful scripture. But he's saying that n- there are other spirits that speak, right? And he says, test the spirit. Not every spirit that speaks is of God. Uh-oh. We'll get into that. <laughs> right, so back to my, my example of, of a very charismatic church. This is a lot of times what happens. is because they're hearing from God. But they get into this place of, oh, I got a word from God, therefore everything I hear from the Spirit must be from God. That's a lie. That's not biblical. Right? And I don't care how prophetic you are, you need to learn to test the Spirit. Because you can operate out of 99%, but guess what? When you speak out of an unclean spirit, when you prophesy something that is not from God, it hurts people. And a lot of us have experienced that, right? Because frankly, most people don't operate at that level of accuracy. (laughs) Most people operate at about 10% of what they say is from God, and about 90% that's not. Because they don't know to test the spirit, Right? But we've, a lot of us have been hurt by that. People have given us prophetic words that, you know, they either don't happen, or you're just like, ugh. You can just feel the ickiness on it. <laughs> Alright, we need, we need to be people. Now, I will say this, there's a lot of grace when you walk through these things. If you remember, I think, at the very beginning, the first class, so at one point, of course, God was teaching me a lot of this stuff, and, um, I was just, man, I was just so trying to make sure everything was perfect, right? And at one point, the Holy Spirit told me, because I was digging a hole real fast, you know, in this, like, trying to get everything perfect, trying to do everything right, and he's like, Devin, at some point, you have to believe that my ability to get it right is greater than your ability to screw it up, and that brought a lot of peace, because once again, my faith was restored in God and not putting it in myself. Okay, now that being said, we do want to grow in maturity in these things, right? Because we do want to hear the voice of God. We do want to have, as Paul says, our senses trained to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Right, what does he say? He says we need to be trained in this. So that when we hear something, we can discern whether it's of God or not. Right? Right? You know, a lot of times, a lot of churches get themselves into trouble because they start listening, yes, to the spiritual realm, but paying attention to things that are actually not of the Spirit of God. And I've heard all kinds of wacky things that pastors have preached about how to make sure something is of God. They're like, well, you know it's of God when people recognize you as a prophet. I'm like, what? That's not even in the Bible. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, no? <laughs> uh, there's people like, well, you recognize if it's of God when, you know, the prophets around you confirm it. I'm like, well, we're getting a little closer. Because there is, the Bible talks about, you know, that the word of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Like, they need to be tested. Okay, I'm like, okay, I can, I can see that, yeah very few people, in fact, I've never heard a message where they've taught how to test the spirit based on this, in 1 John 4. All right, And I think because of that, because frankly, you see all throughout the Bible, groups of prophets who get way off base. Right? There are many times in the Old Testament, God calls out the entire group of prophets because they're listening to false spirits, lying spirits. And they're prophesying things that God's like, that is not what I'm saying. Like, you are the recognized prophet, right? There's a lot of things in the Old Testament where, especially when it comes to like Ezekiel and Isaiah, where there were people who were recognized prophets that were prophesying lies. They had the title. They had the position. And guess what? They weren't even close. And the one person who God was speaking through, everyone mocked and ridiculed. Like, well, you don't have this. You're not a Levite. You know, like, you don't have that. And yet, that's who God was using. You know, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, right? Some of these guys were farmers. Some of them, I mean, Isaiah was probably a, a fairly prominent person, but like, God uses all kinds of people. And frankly, they weren't always the ones that were recognized as having that position, right? And so we need to have a way of testing the spirit, yes, in and of ourselves. Now, it is important to walk in humility and to allow the people around you to speak into it, right? Because we don't always get it right. Um, However, this is a really powerful way of doing it to get to the practical side of this. How do you do this? Uh, It's actually pretty simple. When, let's say, you know, you get a vision or even a dream and you wake up in the morning, You can literally, at a heart level, I always recommend people, especially when you start doing it out loud, and just be like, in Jesus' name, I command the Spirit that gave me this revelation, right? Whatever it was that they brought to mind, I command the Spirit to answer, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Yes or no? And what's interesting, angels will answer yes, because they deliver messages. Holy Spirit will answer yes. Jesus, of course, will say yes. Demons will not. I've heard them laugh and mock. I've heard them start to screech <laughs> and even hiss at you. But most of the time they just kind of growl no. <laughs> because they refuse to acknowledge. Because to acknowledge Jesus came in the flesh is to acknowledge He has total power and authority over them. <laughs> and they refuse to acknowledge that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they get kind of bratty about it at times. I literally command it. I say, in Jesus' name, I command you to answer, did Jesus come in the flesh? Did, meaning, did he come as a person? You're
1: saying it to the spirit of the
0: dream you had I just say, this, in G, I command the spirit who gave me this revelation. And I don't even have to do it, I can do it for others, too. Like, if someone's, you know, you know, another prophetic voice is speaking, if there's even a pastor <laughs> on stage, and I'm in the audience, I can be like and he's speaking like, oh, God showed me this, I can literally say, in Jesus' name, I command the Spirit that showed, that, showed him that to answer, did Jesus come in the flesh? Right? I can test words from YouTube. Right? I can, I can do a lot because that Spirit has to respond. Now, the Holy Spirit, again, he'll always say yes if it's him because he comes to declare Jesus. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to acknowledge it. Um, I have seen demons try and stall and just be quiet, you know, they try to be quiet and you have to be like, no, in Jesus' name, you will answer, did Jesus come in the flesh? You can test visions literally as you're receiving them, right? If you're in the middle of something and and God's showing you a picture, you can literally at a heart level, you don't technically have to do it out loud, but you can at a heart level in your heart just be like, I command the Spirit to answer, did Jesus come in the flesh? because that is the test given in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. It's literally what John says to do. <laughs> and it works. It's very efficient. Right? Now, that is from God. Yeah, because you're testing to see is this of God? Right? Because the Bible's quite clear. We see obviously the book of Revelation, you see Peter in the book of Acts, like angels were delivering messages as well. Okay, well, guess what? Demons do, too. They deliver messages. All right? They speak lies. They do <laughs> they a lot of things, but
1: um, you can test them. Yeah? So what about, I know last week, you know, we were talking about, like, getting God to reveal things into our hearts. Well, mm-hmm. this morning I was on my first Bible study, and I had all these, and I wrote them all down. Mm-hmm. With? Yeah. How do you say, like, what's I say, you'll never, you'll destroy everything you ever love? Yeah. I was told that so many times.
0: Well, okay, so Well, some of those, so the question is that um, she had a, a lot of words spoken over her as a child. Some of them was like, you'll destroy everything you ever touch. Like, how do you test that? Well, some of that, you can just compare to scripture and be like, that's not what God says, <laughs> right? Like, like, he says the plans I have for you are good, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, right? Now, there are places you'd be like, okay, Lord, this was an accusation against me as a child. Is there something I agreed with regarding destruction that I need to break my agreements? Okay? Like, for me, I'll give you an example. Like, as a, as a little kid, I can actually remember the moment I was at my mother's parents' house. Now... Both my mom and dad were by far the youngest in their family. So my grandparents were pretty old by the time I was even born, right? Um, Anyway, so they were were much older in their at least late 70s, 80s. And um, anyway, I can remember hearing my dad talk about how he wasn't creative, but he enjoyed like demolition, you know, like when you're remodeling a house and you're like tearing things down. And I can remember in that moment, because of something he said, I don't know, it was just like I knew, well, I'm my father's son in this, right? And I remember believing I'm not creative, but I enjoy destroying things. Right. Okay? Well, of course, as a, as a kid, you don't necessarily know any different, but that's actually something in, in recent years God had to bring up and be like, Devin, you actually agreed with a spirit of destruction that you are literally the, the son, if you will, of destruction. Mm. Does that make sense? And so I actually need to acknowledge I chose that. I chose to believe that. That's actually not what God says about me. Right. And I repented, and God showed me, wait a minute, I don't have to receive, because uh, unfortunately w- w- with my my family and stuff, there were... Several generations back, there were a lot of occult activity and things and a lot of stuff they invited in. Um, And so no doubt, my father, at some point, he probably made a similar agreement. And so that was in his life. And then I agreed. But guess what? I'm a child of my heavenly father. I don't have to receive the the spiritual inheritance of an earthly father, okay, in, in the negative sense. Right, So many of us, well, well, that's just who my dad is. That's just who my mom is, so that's who I am. Mm, okay, in a natural sense, but guess what? If you've called on the name of Jesus, if you've asked him to cleanse you, then guess what? Your inheritance is no longer from your parents on earth. You are now your father's son or your father's daughter, meaning your heavenly father's son, your heavenly father's daughter. Your spiritual inheritance is of him. And he's not the destroyer, right? He's not the abuser. He's not the person who's not creative, right? He's the most creative being, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So guess what? If I'm my heavenly father's son, I'm creative. I'm a creator, not a destroyer. Okay, and so there had to be a transition there. But anyway, I hope that answers your questions. I know that's a little off track, but sure. And so some of that you can just test with the Bible, right? Like you can just be like, okay, that's not what God says. I
1: should have used a better example, yeah. a better example for today, because I know that was a stupid
0: yeah. one. No, it was a good It was a good one, and it was It was really important. It was good. Um, with money. So, yeah. um, you know,
1: I'll never have anything. Or um, So I believe this line recently, in the last couple of years mm-hmm. I got,
0: Yeah, our beliefs make a big difference as to what we give permission to. Now, it is always wise, like I said, to check and be like, okay, Lord, what have I agreed with and given permission to? Um, But when a spirit comes to you and speaks and says, well, this is just who you are, this is what's going to happen, I don't have to agree with that, right? I'd be like, "Mm, no, God says he has good plans for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Right? So if the enemy's like, well, you're going to you know, get in a car accident, I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, nope. That, that's one thing that I don't necessarily even have to test in the sense of like testing. I can if I want to. And personally, um, when something comes after me, like there's an attack spiritually, I'm just in a place where I'm like, I'm not just going to let this thing hang out because I could throw it off and just be like, whatever. But it's just going to go and attack somebody else. And so just where I'm at in life, and I don't necessarily recommend this when you're first getting started, but where I'm at in life, if something comes after me, I find its roots, and I tear it, up, I tear it down. Like, I'm just going to deal with it, because I don't want it to hurt anybody else. Like, I have, my faith is such that I can just ignore these lies and just be like, just leave me alone, you know, and, and go about my life. But if it, it has the audacity to come after me, it, I'm, I'm going to tear it down. Like, I still check with God and be like, okay, is it the right time to do this? But most of the time, he's like, yep. <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's coming down. Because <laughs> I'm not going to let this thing hang out. Um, yeah. that mm-hmm. or So, again, these are intelligent beings, right? Peter talks about the, your enemy roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, okay? There's a lot of unclean spirits that are looking for someone to, to, to steal from or destroy. And so they come to me and, you know, maybe, oh, actually, this is a great example. I'll give you this one. Um, this is a, kind of a fun story. So years ago, I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, I would drive to and from there and, and where my parents live, kind of out, out east. And this one road I've um, driven a, at that point, probably thousands of times, you know, at the very least several hundred times back and forth on this particular road. And um, there's a a specific part of that road. Now, I never noticed. It was one of those things that was just kind of in the background. But there was a specific part of that road, and it's, it's flat, right? There's no, like, cliffs. There's not even any trees, okay? It's flat. And, but there was a specific part of that road. Every time I go through there, it'd be like, man, it'd be really easy for someone to commit suicide here. And then it'd just be gone, just like that. And I wouldn't think of it. And I'd, I'd, I'd experience that who knows how many times on that road. And I'd drive it and be like, oh, you know, it'd be really easy for someone to like, drive into oncoming traffic.
1: <laughs> this is
0: the most random thing. Well, at one point I was driving through there, and, I, and I, I felt that, and I was like, wow, it'd be really easy for someone to commit suicide here. And the Holy Spirit was just like loud in my ear. He's like, are you going to deal with this? I'm like, what? What What am I going to deal with? (laughs) Like, I'm awake now. (laughs) Like, what's going on? It's the middle of the afternoon. Like, what? And he just opened my eyes, and I saw this massive demonic spirit standing next to the road. And everyone who drove by, it would influence to commit suicide. Because in the past, somebody had. Somebody had Commit suicide, drove into oncoming traffic. So, this spirit had taken this section of road as its territory. Now, for me, I'm not suicidal. And so, it was never like I could do this, it was someone could do this. And the fact was, I was consistently in agreement for whatever reason. I'm like, yeah, someone could, you know? Right? <laughs> and so, the Holy Spirit is like, Are you get to deal with this? And I'm like, whoa, oh yeah. Well, that's an attack. That's a spiritual attack because it's influencing me. And so I'm like, oh that was a rough day, buddy. I let you go, right? Like and I I commanded this thing to be bound, silent, brought before Jehovah God in the courtroom, and I executed this thing. Why? Cuz that's a spiritual attack. It was trying to influence me. And I don't have to put up with that crap. <laughs> and so I threw it out. And guess what? I've driven that road many times since then. No, it's gone. And never come back. Okay? I don't have to put up with that. I've done that so many times in so many different areas. Um, because, again, this this is spiritual warfare. And I don't just have to, because I could have just brushed it off. And I've been doing that for a long time. It didn't have a hold on me.
1: So what does that look like then? You're saying you're bringing it to the Okay. Of like exactly yeah.
0: What, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do that. So usually when I deal with an unclean spirit, um, oh, goodness. Again, going back, the Holy Spirit is your guide, right? He's your leader. He's your guide. You can ask him, what do you want me to do, right? The best approach is literally to go before God like a little kid and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help. <laughs> right? I still do that. Like, okay, show me what you want me to do, all right? Now, that being said, there are just some things that have permi- we have permission to do. Actually, this is, I should probably get through this because that's my next slide. <laughs> um so there's certain things you can command. The Bible talks about, uh, actually, let me finish up with this, just because it, it legitimately is my next slide, and I actually have all the verses <laughs> written down on that. Um, and we'll go through how, how to actually bind, how to execute, how to throw out, um, and kind of what the legal authority is for doing that. Okay, That is, that is up next. Um, yeah, testing the spirit. Uh, I use the two scriptures here, Luke 9 and, and, well, 54 and Luke 20. These are the ones with Peter, right? The one I just used, the example where Peter, like, gets a revelation and then a few minutes later. And then the the second one is where James and John do something similar. They're with Jesus, right? He's going through Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the feast for, for Passover, which was the big contention point between the Jews and the Samaritans. Like, where do you worship is it in Jerusalem or is it on this particular mountain? And so the city won't let Jesus in, right? And, and there's some debate as to whether this is the same city that had a revival earlier in Scripture because of the woman at the well, like if you know that story. Um, it could be, it could have been a different city, I don't know for sure. But anyway, um, James and John, so the city won't let Jesus in, so what did James and John do? They're like, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? <laughs> Right? Now, the context of that, of course, is with Elijah in the Old Testament. And most people know Elijah called down fire on Mount Carmel, right? With the prophets of Baal, and then the rain came. But most people don't realize that a, a, a chapter, several verses before that story of Elijah, King Ahab had sent several troops, uh, groups of, of soldiers, to go find Elijah. And when they came, Elijah called down fire from heaven in Crispy crittered them <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. He did it with two, two sets of soldiers. And finally, on the third set that came, the captain humbled himself and was like, hey, I'm just doing my job. I'm not gonna hurt you. Please come. And Elijah was like, okay, I'll go with you. <laughs> but anyway, so that's the kind of the context. They were literally wanting to destroy people, right? And Jesus, now keep in mind, they think they're protecting Jesus. Right? They're defending Jesus in this moment. Yeah. That's what James and John think. Now, of course, Jesus, it says he looked at them and said, or he rebuked them and said, you don't know what spirit you are of. Okay, so they think they're defending Jesus and they're partnering with an unclean spirit that wants to destroy people's lives. And you know that because what Jesus goes on to say is the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them or to seek and save that which is lost. Okay? Um, and my point being, it's important to test the spirit. <laughs> now, you'll notice in these, both of these occasions, with Peter and with James and John, they partnered with demons, right? They, gave, they spoke based in unclean spirits. But you'll notice Jesus' response. In both, he corrects them, right? He rebukes them. But you'll notice what he did not do. He did not be like, oh, you're out. <laughs> Tough luck, you screwed it up, out you go. Okay, or a lot of people are like, well, I guess you got to get stoned since you, you know, gave a false prophecy. <laughs> right, he didn't do that. He didn't kick them out of his group. He didn't say, Oh, well, yeah, you know, you're back on, you know, you're benched for a while. He corrected them, but he, he still walked with them. And my point on that is that, hey, we're on a journey. And if we mess it up, We do need to be corrected, and we need to humble ourselves when we are corrected, right? If we get a prophetic word or or something wrong. But if God corrects us or if he sends someone to correct us, it's not because he's kicking us out. It's not because he's trying to crush us. He's doing it because he wants us to grow, right? He wants us to mature and be able to hear and speak what God is speaking, and not based in our own will, and not based in what an unclean spirit is doing. Right? So there's grace for making mistakes. Right? And that's, that was the point of bringing those things up. Um, yes? Anybody call down fire? That is a good question. Can anybody call down fire? Um, I, th- I think by faith all things are possible. But I also think, again, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is the big thing. Right? There is a lot of power in the spiritual realm when you believe. A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, is it what God is wanting to do? Um, however, scripture-wise, God says in the last days I will do many signs with fire, with smoke, with blood. Like, uh, Trust me, there's a lot of things coming that we, have, we can't even fathom yet where God is going to demonstrate power in a pretty spectacular way. All right, hearing from God. Um, I usually use this story. I had a friend who was a professional photographer and 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 we walked together for several months and she's like, "Devin, how do you know when it's from God like, like really like how how do you know because she was wanting to walk in this, and I'd taught her most, if not all of these things and and I I don't know, God just gave me some wisdom in that moment. And I was like, hey, I mean, you're a photographer. Can you teach me how to take the perfect picture? She's like, uh, (laughs) no. I was like, no, you you can teach me about f-stop. You can teach me about lighting. You can teach me the features of that particular camera. But the reality is that taking a good picture just takes practice and time, right? And so as you're walking in this, as you're hearing from God, your senses are getting trained. You're going to make mistakes. It's okay. Just be humble. You know, the Bible says reproofs of correction are the way of life. Right? Accept correction, and you'll improve. You'll get better. Right? Just, just like taking a good picture it takes time. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It does a little bit, yeah. But usually, when you're testing, because even our own will, when we get involved, which is very possible, um, like in those moments, God usually steps in and brings clarity. But it is something you have to learn and you have to grow in. And that's why dealing with judgments, dealing with forgiveness, dealing with repentance is so important because. That's how your heart gets cleaned out so that you are in a place, because especially with the judgments thing, you're breaking all these predetermined decisions, right? These predetermined judgments. And so when God's speaking, your heart's clear to just hear what he has to say versus what's already been decided in your own heart, right? Because you've dealt with those judgments. And that's, that's part of the importance of, you know, that sequence of things. Mhm oh, that stuff. You know that's not from
1: God. Yeah. You know. So because one thing I learned is that the the uh, devil enemy, all he knows is hatred. There's no love in that guy. Yeah. Didn't blame and
0: accusations. That's mm-hmm. what he got. Yep, absolutely. That in 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 the devil often when you hear from him, it it's hatred, it's accusations, it's blame because there's no love in him. And so that's that's a pretty good way of testing and knowing like if something really has that vehement, that like that, yeah, that viciousness in it, that's, that's not God. <laughs> um, no, not always. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Bible is pretty clear that, that Satan will disguise himself as an angel or a messenger of light, right? Which is why it's important to test the spirit because a lot of times when we feel something, we're like, ooh, that feels good. Well, that, that's not necessarily the indication that it's of God or not. And I'll actually talk about how, how demons and even people, but will clothe themselves with what feels like life or righteousness through theft, they can close themselves. And when you experience them, you'll, you'll feel like this is good, okay? But you still have to test it, because frankly, the enemy knows. And, and we'll actually get into some of that with dreams and what that looks like, because it does happen. Um, yeah, and just staying in step, right? In the end, just staying in step with the Holy Spirit. And in operating, you know, Jesus many times talked about, hey, I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak what I hear him saying. Repeatedly. He said it multiple times throughout the Gospels. Right? We want to be in step with God because it's his words that have power. Right? Okay. On to the next one. (laughs) Like I said, it was my next slide. (laughs) We got about how, how demons work. All right. And so we'll go through this, and then I'll, I'll get back to the, the point of, like, kind of the, the the process I go through when I deal with an unclean spirit, okay? Now, again, I'll give you principles, because every situation is different, right? Every situation is unique, but there are some principles in it. But we're going to talk a little bit about demonic spirits, because, I mean, Paul even says, hey, we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil, Right? We're not unaware of how he works. Meaning, frankly, a lot of Christians are unaware. But we shouldn't be. Okay, we need to know how these things operate. Not to glorify it, not to build it up by any means. But because we need to be able to recognize what's going on around us. Right, because Jesus clearly could. Right, one of the, the first examples of him doing a miracle, he was in the gospels, he was teaching at a synagogue, And the Bible says that someone stood up and said, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, in today's world, we'd be like, oh, do tell this person has a question. (laughs) Right? We'd be like, oh, yes, sir, you have the floor, you know. But Jesus' response, he he didn't even ask the guy a question. He didn't tell him to sit down. It says he rebuked the spirit and commanded it to come out of the guy, and it left, and people marveled. Right? Meaning, he looked at a person and saw the spirit he was operating out of and dealt with it. That's, <laughs> that's pretty powerful. Like, most of us would be afraid to do that kind of thing, right? To call someone out like that in a church? <laughs> right? Because that's what a synagogue was in those days. It's basically our modern version of church. Uh, man, he just, he just dealt with it. Okay? Well, there are things that you can see. I mean, obviously, having your spiritual senses trained is a big part of this. But knowing how unclean spirits work help. All right, my first point here is the anointing of a demon. OK, we talk a lot about, in church, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's incredibly important. <laughs> anointing breaks the yoke. There's Isaiah chapter 11 lists seven anointings of the Holy Spirit. Right, They're, These are important. All right, but this class is specifically on spiritual warfare, right? Not necessarily on that, so that's another topic for another time. Very good, very important. I'm not dismissing that, but I want to talk a little bit about this. Now, for those of you who have kids, or perhaps uh, some of you were children yourselves at some point, (laughs) I would assume, (laughs) most of us have at least some kind of example in our mind, and and I'll just kind of use this stereotypical. Uh, example. Let's say, you know, you have a kid and he spends the afternoon playing with little Johnny a few doors down. Okay? And when he comes back that evening, he's kind of got some sass on him. Some sass. He's got a mouth. He's disrespectful. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's being fresh. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. What is usually our response? Our response would be like, oh, oh, that, that Johnny, he rubbed off on you. Okay? The word anointing, if you look up the definition, literally means to rub off on, to smear on, to paint. If I, if I take a brush and I dip it in a bucket of paint and I wipe it on this wall over here, I'm anointing the wall right? I'm rubbing off on the wall. Does that make sense? Okay. So, given little Johnny here, he went to the neighbor. The neighbor kid was operating out of a particular spirit, right? Whether it's defiance, disrespect, rebellion, whatever. Your kid, who doesn't normally operate out of that, comes back operating out of that. What happened? Well, the spirit Johnny was walking in, rubbed off on your kid. Does that make sense? Yeah. He anointed your child. Okay? So when, when demonic spirits work, they don't just attack. I mean, often we think, oh, they're attacking us. Okay? You've got to remember that Jesus says the thief... Comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Meaning, what is the one attribute that they all share? They hate you. <laughs> well, they're thieves. Mm-hmm. Their main attribute is that they're all thieves. Okay. Um, so, the way this plays out, let's say, let's say I'm at work. Okay? And something happens. My boss or my coworker does something that just, you know, gets my goat. Like really just, oh! And so I, of course, keep it cool at work, I get in my car, and what do I do? I call my friend. I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't believe what they just did. They did this, and they did that, and they did this other thing, and la-la-la-la-la. Right? You're irritated, and you've got to tell someone. Now, as long as your friend that you're talking to is like, huh, what, whatever, not a big deal, then you're still like, oh, (laughs) but the moment your friend does, yes, that's right, that that was so bad, that's, oh, what they did was terrible, all of a sudden you get a moment of, ah, right? We've all experienced this. Okay, so now they're upset, but you get a moment of peace. What just happened? Transferred. Okay, but it didn't just transfer. I mean, yes, that's the right word, but you didn't just give them that death you were operating out of. You took their peace. There was an exchange. Okay? You gave them death, really irritation, anger, frustration, anxiety, and you got a moment of. This is what demons do, okay? They're not just there to attack. They're there to steal, okay? So let's say there's a a spirit of greed, okay? You're minding your own business. You're content with what you have. You're happy. You're excited. And this thing comes after you and whispers, hey, you don't have enough. You see what they have? They have more than you. You need to have more. And you agree with it. Well, now what? You don't have peace. You're now like, oh, they have more than I do. I need, to, I, need, you know, I need to figure out how to get more money. I need to figure out how to, you know, I need to start this business and do this and do that and this other. And all of a sudden, you're worked up and anxious. What did you just do? Okay, you, you gave this thing your peace. It was, it was stolen. It was theft for sure. But your agreement allowed it to steal it. So you took its death, because when a spirit, they're intelligent beings, but their attributes are, are kind of who they are, because they're like, they're a spirit. They're kind of like a frequency. Um, and so a spirit of greed is that way because it's greedy. Okay? And as such, it has no rest. It doesn't matter how much stuff that spirit has, if you will, it has no rest, because it's greedy. It always wants to hoard more things. <laughs> right? That's what greed is. And so when you agree with it, it now has a moment of peace. This is why in Proverbs it talks about how the wicked have no rest unless they make someone stumble. Right Now most of us have done that to people right? We've been that person. where We've been irritated. We call them. We steal their peace. Usually it doesn't last very long, so we have to call someone else, right, and complain to them and steal their peace and complain to them. Do we realize we're literally empowering the very thing that has us in bondage? Because peace is power, okay? Peace is power. Let's see if I've got that on my slide there. There it is. Peace is power, and so the more you give them, the more powerful they become to steal from you and the people around you. This is, when, when this spirit is stealing peace, and usually it works through you, right? It is getting more and more powerful. This is, this is why God says things like, don't gossip, don't complain. Why? Because when you do these things, you're stealing power for this spirit and it becomes bigger and more powerful in your life, which allows it to continue to hold you in more and more (laughs) bondage. Christine actually has a great story on this that I'll I'll let her share here in a minute. (laughs) Okay? But we've also experienced it in a different way, where we've been super irritated, right, something's happened, and we call that friend, and instead of that friend agreeing with us, or even just dismissing us, that friend's like, hey, have, have you asked God about this? Have you prayed about this? And we're like, no. <laughs> right? We're usually like, dang it, anyhow. Totally got called out. And they're like, hey, can, can I pray for you? Can we ask the Lord what he has to say? And all of a sudden, what happens? It's like, whew. They didn't lose their peace, but now we have it. Okay? See, this is why demonic spirits, they steal life. They steal peace. Right? They, they give you their death and take your life. Does that make sense? But what does it say about God's spirit? God's spirit in the New Testament is called a life-giving spirit. Right? And even Jesus' example on the cross, what did he do? He took our death and gave us his peace. That's literally what he did on the cross, right? And so the anxiousness, the anxiety, the fear, all these things that we walk in, he says, give it to me, I'll take it. And I will give you my peace in return. But just like we had to agree with the the demonic spirit in order to have it in our lives, right? We agreed with greed, (laughs) and that's why we became greedy. Guess what we have to do in order to have peace? We have to agree with what God is saying. And so God comes in and says, hey, I'm your provider. And we're like, no, you're not. You haven't provided for me. Remember this, and this, and this, and this? Well, guess what? We're not going to receive provision. Why? Because we're not in agreement with Him. (laughs) Right? Okay, if you want to receive life from God, you've got to agree with Him. If you want to receive death from unclean spirits, guess what? (laughs) You've got to agree with Him. So the question becomes, what have you agreed with? Right? Then that goes back to repentance. If you've agreed with unclean things, You need to repent. You need to acknowledge you chose it (laughs) and repent and change what you choose, right? But guess what? You need to agree. If you want life from God, you've got to agree with God because that's what allows him to take that death and give you his life. So when he says, hey, I, I provide for you, I'm your provision, yeah, you are. When he says, I'm your protector, I agree. Guess what? Peace. You know, I say it this way a lot. This is just a phrase God gave me a long time ago. I say, You cannot get from God what He does not have. Okay? And God is not anxious, God is not afraid. He's not up in heaven biting his fingers, like, Woo, how is this going to turn out? (laughs) Right? And so, if we're operating out of anxiety, if we're operating out of fear, what have we already agreed with? Yeah, we've already agreed with an unclean spirit. And how many of us actually pray out of that place and think that that somehow is giving us power to pray? I'm so worried, I'm so afraid, so I'm going to pray. Okay, but but you need to back up a second and deal with that fear first. Cuz otherwise all of your prayers are in agreement with a spirit of fear. <laughs> Cuz that didn't come from God. Right? Wait, wait a minute, God. I'm about to, to petition you out of fear. That's not honoring you. That's not faith. I mean, it is, but it's faith in evil. <laughs> I mean, that's what fear is, right? You're believing that the evil thing is more likely to happen than the good thing. So you're actually agreeing with the devil. <laughs> and I say, like, wait, 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 back it up a little bit. <laughs> when did I agree with this spirit of fear? And what do I need to repent? What do I need to break agreement with so that I can come into agreement with God? So that I can step in and say, God, you are my provider. You are my protector. Now I'm in a place to petition the Lord and get an answer because I'm in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to come in faith, not fear. Okay? And so these are just some of the things um, about how demonic spirits work. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about legal authority. Legal authority. Because in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm trying to think, is there a. Where's the. Christine, if you want to see about finding the wireless microphone, because I want you to be able to share so that it's actually on the recording. (laughs) We might take a five-minute break and figure that out here in a little bit. But Christine has an amazing story. I'll let her find that. We'll, We'll go to Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And Actually, the microphone is probably, here it is. Uh, I don't know, we shall see. Testing, testing. You'll probably have to turn it on on the soundboard. It should be labeled Sure, wireless mic. I think it's channel three or four, and you have to hit the, the, well, on that board it's the on button, (laughs) it's the mute button. Testing, testing. Hello, can you hear me? There we go, okay, yeah. You got it on. All right. Yeah, we don't hear you. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll let you share. So Christine had a, has a great example, something in her own life, where uh, this thing about holding your peace, and there, there's more on this, but yeah, go ahead and share. So,
1: am I okay? Um, <laughs> not used to using these. So basically, I had a relative, and they had texted me earlier in the day and we're all up in arms for a health issue and they were freaking out and they're like pray for me I'm just under a lot of attack right now I'm going to see the doctor and I remember just sitting there at my work desk asking the Lord Jesus do I need to be worried and I heard Jesus say no and I was like okay then I'm just going to submit this to you and I just pray for peace and I didn't think anything of it I get a text later and she's she's all up really really freaking out. I'm like, "Jesus, do I need to worry about this?" And he's like, "No." And I'm like, "Okay." And so I go shopping and I'm on my way back, maybe 30 minutes later, and I see like a text from her again and she's like, "Thank you so much for praying." And I was like, what? And she's like, I just, like, as soon as you prayed, like, I felt like this, you know, release, and I just stopped being attacked, and everything actually ended up being fine with her health issue. And I think what the Lord is showing me there was I did not agree with that spirit of fear that she was in agreement with. um, And I didn't step into that to give it more power.
0: Yeah. That's a great example. So, because an unclean spirit, again, is trying, if peace is power, it's trying to take it, right? And so when you agree with someone operating out of an unclean spirit, you are empowering the spirit in their life. Does that make sense? Okay, and so you're actually giving it more ability to do the thing it's saying it wants to do. When you simply don't agree with it, you hold your peace, that means it's not able to steal more power, And so, so much of spiritual warfare is just not allowing your peace to be stolen. Now, you can go a step further and actually pray, but in this case, for Christine, God was just like, just don't agree with it. Just don't empower it. And without really doing anything, praying anything, her lack of agreement with this spirit... It broke and and her relative experienced peace and and actually thought that Christine had prayed for her. (laughs) She she just didn't agree with the demon. (laughs) Okay, but you'll you'll see something very interesting in in scripture, and we'll actually pull up some verses on this. (laughs) When people are operating out of an unclean spirit, that demon wants to steal, right? They're a thief. They want to steal. So when you don't agree with their fear or their anxiety, what do they do? Do they just be like, oh, I respect your choice? (laughs) No, of course not. They just keep escalating to try and keep you to agree. Well, you just just don't care about my problem. Mm, No, actually, I do care. I'm just not afraid. Right? Well, where's the next step it jumps to? Usually it jumps straight to, well, you just don't love me. You're not worked up. You're not afraid. You're not worried about me. Therefore, you don't love me. Right? That's where it goes. We probably all experience that with family. (laughs) You just don't love me. You're not loving. You're not this. You're not that. Mm, Nope. None of that is true. Like, I care about your problem. I just am not worried about it because God's not worried about it. Okay? This is actually a really big thing in our culture right now. Right? The coronavirus stuff. How many people, having already agreed with the fear behind this, what do they do? What is their attack? Their attack isn't the logical argument, because they have none, (laughs) right? I mean, the statistics are plummeting on this. This doesn't even hurt as many people as the flu, (laughs) right? Like, they don't really have a legitimate thing. So what do they do? They accuse you of not being loving. You don't care. Why? Well, you've got to realize because when someone's operating out of the spirit of fear, they're never going to admit that. They're never going to be like, you know what, I chose fear, you didn't, so I'm just going to let you be, and I'm just going to go over here and operate out of my fear all on my lonesome. (laughs) No, of course not, because that spirit is a thief. And it wants to steal. And so it's going to keep pushing until it gets you to give in. Okay? That's what it's going to try and do. It doesn't mean you have to let it. Okay, and you see that. I mean, it's very apparent in our culture right now. Okay, so we'll, we'll actually get into some stories on this. Uh, let's, go to, to, yeah, let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19. This should be, I think it's the one I'm, I have in my head. Oh, nope, this isn't the one I was thinking of. Hmm. That may be further down. We'll get to it in a little bit. I don't have the scripture up here, but it's the story, the, the story I'm I'm thinking of right now is the story of Jesus in the boat. Okay? He's he's been preaching, shuts it down, says, Let's go to the other side, right? We all if you've been in church at all, you know this story, but I will give the scripture reference here in a minute when it comes up on my slides. But um They're going across the lake. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Can anyone say, that man has peace? (laughs) Right? He's asleep in the boat. And the boat is in the middle of a storm that the disciples, who are trained fishermen, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them, are terrified that they're going to sink and drown. Okay? When a trained fisherman is afraid of a storm, it's it's a pretty bad storm. (laughs) Okay? Because there used to be an out in it. All right, so this is a pretty bad storm. And, and in that particular scripture, and I really want to find it here. No, it's not going to come up on this slide. It must be on a different one. Um, in that particular scripture, they wake Jesus up, and they literally say to him, as recorded in scripture, don't you care about us? Meaning, Jesus, we're freaked out. You're at peace, therefore you must not love us. (laughs) Now, I gotta love Jesus because Jesus being Jesus ain't having none of it, (laughs) right? And what does he do? It says he rebuked their lack of faith, calmed the wind and the waves, and then they got where they were going. He's like, ah, this ain't all me. You're afraid because you didn't believe what I said. Right? Cuz keep in mind again who Jesus is and who the disciples already knew that he was. He said we're going to the other side. Right? So if they're freaked out it's because they've actually forgotten what he said or they've just ignored it. Oh, there you go. Mark 4:38. Thank you. Mark 4:38 is the the verse. Okay? So they'd heard from God. They'd heard Jesus say, we're going to the other side. They get in the middle, a storm comes up, and they're like, ah, we're all gonna die. <laughs> and Jesus it says he rebuked their lack of faith. Well, why? Because they chose not to believe his word. <laughs> but you'll notice he did not be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for being asleep in the boat, and, and you're all freaked out, and, and you really should be freaked out, because this is a bad storm. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, but how many of us have done that in life? A relative calls us, and, and they're freaked out about a health issue. You're, you're, you know, <laughs> We've had lots of these situations, right? And you're just like, uh, no, I'm not going to be afraid of this. All right, but let's go a step further. Let's start praying for people. All right, let's, let's start extending peace to them without it being stolen from us. Okay. But just keep in mind you don't have to agree with the fear. Cuz you cannot get from God what he does not have. And he's not anxious and he's not afraid. Okay. Okay. So, I'll I'll just end on that. A little bit about how demons work there. Let's see, was there anything else that I missed on that? 10, 10, 10. Oh yeah, that's what it was Mark 435. Oh yeah. Uh, go to first Peter 21. I actually have a little bit more on this particular topic. Oh goodness, we are getting short on time. Oh, isn't that what always happens in these things? <laughs> it gets really good and then they're like, oh, we're almost done. First Peter, First Peter chapter 2 verse 21. So, Go to Revelation and then back up a few pages. First Peter, chapter 2, verse
1: 21. <laughs> Is this the
0: right one? Hmm. Oh, it's actually verse 23 that I'm looking for. Here we go. It says, when he was reviled, or ridiculed, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay, and this is talking about when Jesus was being crucified. Okay, he was, he was being mocked, right? The Romans were mocking him, his own people were mocking him, well, if you're the Christ, come down from there, right? If, if you saved others, can't you save yourself? He was being mocked and ridiculed, okay? And this, this is going back into, yeah, how, how demonic spirits work. So a lot of times we look at Jesus in that moment. He's being mocked. He's being ridiculed. And the Bible says he stayed silent, right? And that's what this verse says. He did not revile in return. Now, a lot of us look at that and be like, ugh. Like, ugh. Like, that's just weakness. Okay? But given what we just talked about with unclean spirits and how they, they give you their death and take your life, there's a thing when, let's say someone is coming, and in this example, someone is coming against Jesus, and they're, they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. Okay? And all of us know from having been mocked and ridiculed ourselves what is the instinctive response? Get even. To get even, right? To do it in return. Yeah. Well, you mock me, so I'm going to mock you back. Well, guess what? What spirit did you just come in agreement with? The same spirit, <laughs> the mocking spirit, right? The same one the person is attacking you out of. Now, keep in mind this unclean spirit doesn't care who it's mocking it just wants access to your life see a lot of times when people attack us we respond out of the same spirit right they because we and mockery there's a lot of things with mockery mockery is the demonic way to try and have dominion over someone you don't have power over okay see satan doesn't have power over god and so he mocks God. Does that make sense? You know, a lot of us probably experience that as children, and, and we can get into some of those stories because i got some cool stuff on that. But, um, but if I respond in mockery, now I'm in bondage to mockery. So Jesus, when it says he did not revile in return, he never gave permission to an unclean spirit in his life meaning he kept the authority in his own soul. This is why the Bible says he was without sin. is because he never gave an unclean spirit permission or authority, dominion, over his soul. Okay? So if we want to operate in peace, if we want to operate in wholeness, then when people accuse us, when they attack us, we have to be mindful to not respond in the same spirit because... The reality is, what we're doing is we're giving that unclean spirit permission to our own lives. I was talking to some students, this is two years ago, I think. But anyway, they were going through a ministry school, of all places, and they had a teacher who was just mocking a particular celebrity in our country, and just kind of reviling, and making fun of them for just their terrible choices. And these students I was talking to were like, ah, oh, it was, it was kind of gross. <laughs> like it was just, like he's a, you know, this teacher is a Christian and here he is like trying to mock. And granted, the person he was mocking has done a lot of bad things. But again, what spirit is he agreeing with here? And, and so I warned the students, I'm like, okay, but in your response to your teacher... Don't mock your teacher because he was mocking someone else. <laughs> because otherwise, you're now in agreement with the same thing he is. If God gives you a word, if you pray, and God says, hey, you need to confront him, do it. Okay? But just because he was mocking and, and wounding someone else doesn't mean you need to do the same to him because now you're just operating on the same spirit. Okay? Does that all make sense? Okay. All right, from there, we'll move on. But it's really cool to see when you understand this stuff why Jesus did what he did, right? He maintained authority. He had dominion in his own soul, right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, meaning I can love you anyway. He did not revile, meaning he didn't agree with the spirit of mockery. He didn't give it permission in his life, right? He had authority, and he maintained it. Okay, legal authority. Um. It's interesting. Normally, in, in the past, I always started with legal authority when I talk about spiritual warfare. But I've found that the foundation of the judgments, forgiveness, repentance is actually more important in in helping someone clean up their own heart. And again, this is but this is extremely important. Okay? Legal authority is very, very critical when dealing with spiritual warfare. Um, and it does warrant a kind of a first-place position in general. Um, the reason I put it kind of further down now is because a lot of people in the church, and I'm talking to primarily to people who have been in the church, have heard these scriptures. They at least know somewhat of this, and so that's why. But I don't put it you know, further in the teaching because it's less important. It, it, is, it is very important. So some of the scriptural legal authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 We were there just a minute ago. This is where Jesus um, gives his, well, he'd done it earlier, but he kind of reiterates the authority he's given his disciples. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Okay, now most of us understand the terms serpents and scorpions don't necessarily mean actual physical serpents and scorpions, right? <laughs> you're like, yeah, I kind of already had that, God. <laughs> right, I can squish a scorpion. I can, I, well, I don't usually step on serpents, but, you know, a nice shotgun does a pretty good job. <laughs> oh, man, I got stories. I grew up on a farm. I remember walking along this ditch, and there's these piles of dirt, and you're kind of like, you know, just not like jumping, jumping, but hopping from one pile to the other. And I hop. And midair, I see a rattlesnake, <laughs> and I'm like, "Ooh!" And so you know that you know in the cartoons, like the, the old cartoons, like the you know Roadrunner Coyote, where you see them like start to to backpedal in midair, and they're like moving, but they're not going anywhere. I think that's a real thing <laughs> because in midair, I'm pretty sure I started moving backwards <laughs> because the, the moment my toe, and it, oh, it was so close, landed right next to this thing. I was already in reverse, you know, I was, I was moving. <laughs> so I don't tend to step on serpents, at least not willingly. Whew, that, was, that was a close one. I almost landed on him, and he, he wasn't a big rattlesnake, but he well, Depends on your definition of big, but he was he, he was probably three or four feet long. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, serpents and scorpions. God gives us permission, and that's obviously a reference to spiritual warfare, right? Some of the most prevalent demonic spirits, the form they take is serpents because it represents deceptions and lies and those kind of things like vipers. Um, constrictors are a little bit different in what they represent spiritually. Scorpions, again just different attributes that these spirits have. Um, Let's go over to Psalm 91, verse 13, another very common, popular scripture. Psalm 91, great scripture. Definitely recommend reading all of it. But verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Uh, Another translation actually says, You'll tread on the lion and the dragon. Okay? What's interesting, if you ever see spiritually, you'll come to find out rather quickly that there are indeed dragons. Which is probably why every culture on the planet has drawings throughout history of dragons. Okay? This isn't necessarily a physical reality. It's a spiritual one, and they do exist, and there's more than a few. Um, We'll go over to Psalm 149. This is actually one I use quite frequently when I'm dealing with demonic spirits. Psalm 149. I will start with verse 6. It says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and two-edged swords in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This is the honor for all his glory. For this, <laughs> this honor have all his saints, or depending on your translation, this honor um, is for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, we recognize that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, right? right. Not fighting people. Right? We're fighting principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Spiritually, God has given us authority to bind. Jesus says it, what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. Or bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Right? We have authority. We can do this. But you'll notice in this scripture, it doesn't say, execute on them whatever the hell you want. (laughs) Right? It says, execute on them the written judgment. Okay, this is true in our country. We are a country of laws. Well, we used to be. (laughs) Things are getting a little wacky, but... When, when a judge issues an order, he issues an order based on things that are written, based on laws that already exist. Why? Because that's how you execute justice and not preference, okay? God, the Bible says His throne is on a foundation of justice and righteousness, but that He sit, sits on a seat of mercy, okay? But again, God has laws. God has judgments. His word is His law. <laughs> He has judgments. And so we don't execute on demons just anything we want. Okay, people make a lot of mistakes with this, and they think that their yelling and screaming is going to, you know, do something. <laughs> oh, boy. If you have to raise your voice to have authority, then you already don't have it. <laughs> right? You, like, I always use the example. The president of the United States doesn't, yeah, the president of the U.S. doesn't have to yell to have his helicopter brought around didn't have to yell to get food, didn't have to raise his voice to do anything. Now, he might choose to, but he didn't have to because he has authority. It's been given to him. He has entire teams of people to do whatever the heck it is that he tells them to do, right? When you have authority, you don't have to raise your voice. Now, there is times when you're dealing with spiritual stuff and you get passionate, and, and again, it's not necessarily wrong to raise your voice, but if, if you're doing it because you think that's going to give you power over demons... <laughs> <laughs> you already don't have power over demons. <laughs> right? Raising your voice isn't going to change the authority that you have. Right? But you'll notice it says, executing on them the written judgment. Meaning not just your opinion, not just what you think should happen. You execute things that are actually written. Now, there is a place, and, and although I, I'm trying to think, occasionally Jesus will like, tell you to do something, and you're like, um, where is that out in the Word? Where is that a written judgment? And he'll actually show you. There's some pretty spectacular things in here about what you can do. Um, but the question earlier, like 20 minutes ago or 30 minutes ago, was what, what is the pattern, or how do I deal with demonic spirits, right? Like, how do I go after them? Well, one, recognizing that you have authority when you're under authority, okay? So if I'm executing my will on what I want done with these demons, chances are it's probably not going to happen, okay? If my will is different from God or God's word. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, You've got to do what's written. So back to the, the story much earlier. Oh, goodness, it is 12 (laughs) o'clock. We can keep going, though. We can keep going. When you're under God's authority, you have it. If you're out off doing your own thing, (laughs) right, Uh, that's a different story. Um, So back to the story I told about driving, right, on the road, this thing trying to influence people to commit suicide, and God being like, hey, are you going to deal with this? (laughs) Um, So... There's certain things in Scripture, and I don't think I have them written down, so this might be a homework assignment for you to look up. But there's things that say that um, the wicked will be bound in the cords, or the chains, of their own sin. Okay, that's a written judgment. And so you can command that to, to take place. Which is interesting, because Jesus in the New Testament says, how can you plunder a strong man's house unless you first... Bind the strong man. So guess what? You can command these demons to be bound. Okay? Which in practicality or spiritually means that they're restricted, they can no longer operate. Okay? They can no longer do whatever it is that they're doing. That's a written judgment. The Bible says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. And so guess what? You can command in Jesus' name that these unclean spirits are disarmed because they have weapons. Their weapons are usually words, images, threats, those kind of things. Okay, spiritually, they'll look like swords, daggers, spears, bows, like, I mean, there's there's a myriad of things. Okay, but you can disarm them. In Psalms, it says, the arms of the wicked will be broken and their bows broken. Okay, arms in the Bible represent power or strength. And so what you're commanding, when you command that written judgment to be executed on a spirit, is that their power, their strength, is broken. (sighs) Okay? the Bible's clear that the curses of the wicked will be upon their own head. So when I'm dealing with a spirit, once I've made sure my heart doesn't have any agreements with it, right? Repentance. (laughs) Which is an important step. I can command that its curses be loosed from my life, meaning unbound, right, removed from my life and executed upon its own head. Um, The Bible says that the curses of the wicked will be upon their own head. So once I've dealt with my heart and make sure I'm not in agreement with this demon or its words, I can command that its curses be loosed from my life or whoever and bound or executed upon their own head. Okay, Proverbs 6.31 says, when a thief is caught, he's required to restore sevenfold. Sevenfold just means entirety, right? Seven in the, in the Bible means like completion, okay? In, in its entirety, he has to restore in its entirety, even though it eats up his whole house or his whole kingdom. And so you can do this. Why? Because the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They're all thieves. So any spirit you catch, greed, lust, whatever, principality, like you can command that they restore what they've stolen. Okay, which is really, really cool, by the way, because when you do this with people, you'll see them start walking in gifts and abilities and anointings that quote-unquote skipped them. (laughs) Why? Because this is what demons steal. They steal revelation. They steal talents, gifts, things that God gives people. And you can command them to restore. It's actually what in a lot of Isaiah, Isaiah repeats it repeatedly, or goes over it several times. But in Isaiah chapter 61, it talks about how, you know, Jesus gives his mandate at the beginning of chapter 61, right? He quotes it, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, right? Um, But further down, it talks about that these are people, and they will be rebuilders of ancient ruins, the desolations of many generations. I've seen God restore entire family lines because one person was willing to go through deliverance. And you can make those things restore. It is amazing. (laughs) It is so cool. I've got so many cool stories on that. Um, These are just a few. Now, just to kind of give you an order of operations that I normally go through. um, When I'm praying, let's say this spirit along the side of the road, I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to be bound and silent. Okay? Because otherwise they'll keep chatting and they'll try and either call for help or speak curses and cause confusion, whatever. You just, I command you to be bound and silent in Jesus' name. The next thing that I do, and just as God has has kind of led me, different people do it differently. It doesn't necessarily make it wrong. I've just... God's kind of given me a pattern for dealing with things. I'll tell you what I do. Um, I command that the angels bring it before God in heaven, before the courtroom of heaven, because unclean spirits will actually try and get you to engage in one of their courtrooms, (laughs) okay? Which, again, you're never going to get justice (laughs) from them. (laughs) You are a citizen of heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. You deal with things before God, all right? So I command it to be brought before Jehovah God in the courtroom. And there, I say in Jesus' name, I execute upon it the written judgment. And a lot of times that's enough. And again, the Holy Spirit helps. So if you don't remember all of this, it's okay. God will teach you, right? When I first started, I didn't have kind of this whole thing, system, whatever you want to say it, lined out. And there are times when it's different, right? Different situations. But, um... And the angels will actually execute the judgments for you. Now I tend to be very thorough, <laughs> Christine knows this, I, I, I just like to be very, very thorough. And so I will go through and I'll say in Jesus' name, I command, according to Proverbs 6.31, when a thief is caught, he's required to restore sevenfold, I command you to restore sevenfold what you've stolen, okay? I bind you, right, I've, well, I've already done that, but it is written. When you bind a strong man you can plunder his house. And so in Jesus' name I strip your armor and I plunder your house. I usually command the angels to clean it and restore it to whomever it's due. Because it's not always mine, right? It belongs to other people depending on what I'm doing. And, it, and there's a litany of things, right? There's a lot of the judgments I talked about and more. And God will have you deal with them. Sometimes I'll tear down their thrones, sometimes I'll deal with their altars and their idols, their enchantments, incantations, I'll... T- <laughs> Like, there's a lot of things. In Job, it talks about the wicked would get nothing, that they have to vomit up every good thing they've swallowed down. I'll make them do that, because they do. They swallow down riches, okay, which are revelation. It's favor. It's, it's grace. Loving favor. It's uh, ideas, inventions, music, <laughs> and business ideas. I mean, it's their whole gambit of things. Talents. And you make them restore. Anointings, <laughs> weapons, right? But usually in the end, what I do, once I kind of go through that process, and, and throughout, I'm being like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want done? Because certain demonic spirits, like, he's like, okay, make him restore, make him do this, make him do this, cast him into the abyss. And I'll do it. Other ones, he goes further. Like, I've had others that he's like, remove their crown, remove their robe, remove their things of authority. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'll literally see it as it's taking place. Um, there are certain demons where he's just like, strip their armor, plunder their kingdoms. And there are others, he's like, you don't want anything they have, just throw them into the abyss. <laughs> i like, okay. Which is interesting because in the book of Joshua, when they're going into the promised land and dealing with the enemies in the promised land, which is a type or shadow for dealing with things in our soul, um, you'll notice there are certain enemies that God's like, don't touch anything they have, burn it all. And there are certain enemies, he's like, yep, you can have whatever you want. Okay? So there's a pattern for this throughout Scripture. Um, But in the end, what God has always led me to do, and again, there's some debate on this in Christian circles, whatever. Ask the Lord. But what I do, because, again, a written judgment, it's those who dig a pit will fall into it. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I command these demons to be thrown into the pit they dug, which is the abyss. Okay, people are like, well, didn't God create hell? No, God did not create hell. Saying that on the recording would probably get me in trouble with some religious scholar somewhere. But the reality is the Bible says that those who dig a pit will fall into it. God didn't fall into hell. What's interesting is Jesus didn't even have the keys to hell until he descended through death on the cross into hell. If he authored hell, if he created hell, he would have had the keys already. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Now, in Revelation, it says hell was prepared or made ready for the devil and his, his fallen angels. But that's very different than being created. Yeah. So Satan needed a place to go in his rebellion against God that was devoid of the presence of God. Okay? So he dug a pit, so to speak. Right? But it is so horrific because God is life and peace and love and all these things that what do you get when you don't have light? Darkness. Utter darkness, which is what, is what it's called. Pure torment, pure torment. No rest, no peace, nothing. So the devil doesn't even want to be there. <laughs> all right. But anyway, so he dug the pit, I throw him in. And that's usually the end of it. Again, he needed a place to go devoid of God. However, it is so horrific because, again, he wants life, right? One, he wanted to be God. He wants peace. He wants rest. But being separated from God, he now has to steal it in order to have it. What one that that are oh, we do it all the time, <laughs> right? I mean, in our arrogance, we think we know better than God. Yeah. Okay? Actually, if you want to get... There's just some cool things on this that God has shown me. Just some pretty, like this thing about God not creating hell, that'll probably get me some pretty crazy comments when this thing gets, you know, put online. (laughs) Because I've never read it. I've never heard it anywhere. I've I've just read the Bible. And the Bible says that those who dig a pit will fall into it. And God did not fall into a pit, nor was he held captive by that pit. But you'll notice he didn't have the keys until he went there and came back. If you author something, you you're the creator. You're going to have the keys, <laughs> right? So he didn't. People are like, "Why did God create hell?" And I'm like, "He didn't." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Just, there's just yeah. There's some cool things. Just even like the arrogance that Satan got into, and a lot of times in various religions, they make the same mistakes. Um, I feel like what got One of the things God showed me is that. In his arrogance, Satan got to the point where he viewed God as a power source and which he is. I mean, he's the source of all life, all power. But if you see him as a power source, it's kind of like electricity, right? If I know how to harness electricity, if I know how to use it, I can make it work for me, right? If I don't, I'll get shocked. But if I know how to use it, I can do lots of cool things with electricity. I have power over electricity, okay? And I think Satan got to the point, that's why he was like, I'm going to exalt myself over God. Like, I know the principles. I know how to use this power source for my benefit. Meaning, I'm going to exalt myself above God. You'll notice Jesus did not make that mistake. Jesus constantly referred to God as Father. Because you can manipulate a power source. You can control a power source. But manipulating and controlling a person is not so easy. And God is a person. Right? We are created in his image. He is a being. He's intelligent. He even has a soul in that sense. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many houses or mansions. Well, throughout Scripture, house is used to represent a person's soul. So in my Father's house, his personality, if you will, his, his being, ev- many people exist within that. Anyway, that's probably way more than we should get into in this class. But it, um, anyway, did that kind of answer your question? Okay, the process for dealing with stuff. I deal with that, whether it's my own, other people's lives, that's kind of a process I go through. Obviously, asking the Holy Spirit is the main thing. I, I joke with people, I was like, you know, do you know how you know, a search engine works? You know, like, like Google. Right, when, you, when you type in a query, Google doesn't really answer your questions, it goes, mm, ask those people, <laughs> right? It's like, refers to these other web pages. Well, often when people come to me with a question, I'm like, I don't know, let's ask God. <laughs> I've just positioned my life as such through these things that I've taught where I can hear from God. And so when I ask, I receive, I get an answer. Okay? Now, to a certain degree, I don't mind when people come to me, and ask, and I go to God and ask, and I give them the answer, okay? But I don't want to do that my whole life for everybody. I want to teach you how to go and hear from God for yourselves. all right? And on that note, we are way over time, so let me pray, and uh, we'll call it a day. Yeah, so Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness, for you are good, and your mercy endures forever and you are gracious to us and you pour out your life to us and you've given us such incredible opportunities to walk with you and to influence and affect the kingdom of heaven and the earth and so Jesus we just say thank you I ask that you would continue to teach us and as you said that the Holy Spirit will teach us and lead us into all truth Jesus I ask that your Holy Spirit would just flood into everyone's life here and just teach them Instruct them, lead them into truth. So be it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.